Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Tommy Bahami. Davey, Davey, man, we're back. Association Strong is back, my friend. Not only are we back, but uh, I, I brought to you this, this idea of um, centering a whole bunch of conversations around this concept of member engagement because selfishly it's something i'm really interested in it's like so where my life is focused right now is centered around member engagement so well, it's your was, interest and my passion because that's what i focus our association that's our whole mantra is engage nothing happens unless you engage the member so i was going to go off and do this on my own and then we talked and i was like why don't we bring this into the association strong thing and so one of our very first person that said sure i'll talk to you uh, it's probably a mistake now that I think about it. She probably didn't realize what she was agreeing to. Yeah, that, that sounds like an interesting webinar. Well, you're the guest on our podcast, Ann Pritchett. Welcome. Thank you. Anne Glad to join you today. Good. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule because I do know you're busy over there. You got, you're a senior VP in policy and research uh, with a special emphasis on member relations. What, what's the member relations part of that title again? So um, we have 33 members. We're a trade association, so we represent the uh, largest research-based biopharmaceutical companies. And member relations is really everyone's job within the organization, but it's a particular focus of um, some people in, in my team where we're focused on how do we engage with our members? How do we ensure we're providing a value add? How do we ensure that as new members come on board, we're orienting their staff to our many, many work groups? and um, in the many ways they can engage in the organization. Now, when so, I hear 33 members, real quick, Dave, when I hear 33 members, how many staff do you have for those 33 members? Yeah, so we, we have a couple hundred staff for 33 members. And you wow. know, we have probably, I haven't given count recently, but we probably have you know 100 different work groups and committees and other ways for member company staff to engage within pharma. So you know we cover regulatory issues, intellectual um, intellectual property issues, policy issues, um, legal issues. So it's you know kind of a broad spectrum of aspects of the ability to innovate that we address. And you've so got how many people are in that? How many? Hold on, Dave, real quick. How many people are in that? See, I told you it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight <laughs> here, and this is get, it's getting hot right off the bat, Tom. <laughs> uh, my last, my last question. I'll yield to my friend Dave, just like in politics. I'll yield to my good friend Dave Will for two minutes, <laughs> and then we're going to come back. So, how how many people in those thirty three companies would you say are engaged professionals in the pharma group? That was my oh. question, Tom. Now I get another one. All right. Yeah, you're you're uh, making me wish that I had looked at our member website analytics before I got on this uh, call with you all today. Um, I would say it's it's in the hundreds because we have a member website where we provide access to a really broad range of materials that serve as resources for our member companies. But we have um, a lot of subject matter experts within the companies that participate in different work groups. So it's a you know, it's it's a very large number of people across the companies. And remember, we engage at the state level, at the national level and at the international level. That's I know that's a lot. So I yield to my friend Dave Will. What do you what do you charge for membership? I'm assuming it varies based on the size of the organization. Um, there we do have a complex criteria for assessing what the membership dues are, and it um, includes elements like what their revenues are. Um, but you know, I don't want to go into the specifics of how we determine our um, membership dues. 
All right, but it's got to be tens of thousands of dollars, I would assume, for membership. So if you have only 33 uh, members, so to say, and hundreds of staff members. Yes, okay. we, we have a um, we, we have a healthy, uh, robust budget to ensure that we are able to um, advocate for our companies in a variety of forums. How's that? Well, I, would, I would assume that advocating is a massive value proposition. Was that my two minutes, Tom? That was the two minutes I got? That's where I was going with this is advocacy. <laughs> no, that's exactly where I was going. So like into the value proposition. So it sounds and like the value proposition that in the full name, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, right? That's pharma. Yes. Um, it's P lowercase h capital R-M-A uh, and pharma.org if you're interested, P-H-R-M-A.org. All right. So uh, I'm assuming that a big part of that value proposition is advocacy. Uh, is is that accurate, or is is there really individual value to the couple hundred people at any given member? Yeah. So I mean, we're very focused on the mission of the organization. So just for a little context, our members invest 1.1 trillion in R and D since the year 2000 alone. So our mission is really focused on how do we create the policy environment that's favorable for continued medical innovation in the U.S. and abroad. So um, a large part of that is in, is focused on building policy consensus, developing the advocacy materials, engaging with policymakers to ensure that the policy, regulatory, and legal environment is favorable to innovation. So yes, a very large part of our work is focused on federal advocacy and advocacy in the state and international environments. So that means a lot of materials development, a lot of consensus building. So do you, do you have, is that all the pharma companies pretty much? Or is there, I mean, what percent of the total pharma do you have? I'm, I'm always interested in that. Yeah, we have um, the majority of the largest biopharmaceutical companies. So our members represent about 85% of the overall R&D in terms gotcha. of biopharma. So we did change our membership several years ago to um, shift it a little bit just to ensure that our focus was on the most R&D intensive companies. We want companies that are focused on bringing forward cures and new treatments for patients and that are really making those R&D investments versus, let's say, being more of an acquisition fo focused um, approach. And so we did revise our membership criteria, which is where we are with our 33 members now. I think this is super interesting because generally when you talk about engagement with an association professional, especially somebody in membership, um, which is a big component of what you do, even for trade associations, oftentimes the conversation is about the value proposition to the member. But it sounds like the, uh, the value proposition isn't necessarily at the individual level as much as it's at the organizational level in the form of advocacy. Is that fair to say? Well, I would say that the engagement with individual member companies to build consensus on policy positions. So we are engaging, wanting to ensure we're hearing from all of our members and that informs kind of our that informs our policy positions and how we engage on issues. So we have a lot of individual engagement with companies because we need to understand people's business models, what are the issues they're concerned about so that we're focused in the right place. So we, we don't, um, as a trade association, engage on member company specific issues. It's more, how do we engage on the public policies that impact the overall uh, environment for innovation? 
So let, let's go down that path a little then. So uh, um, who do you find pharma is oftentimes engaging in the, in, inside the member organization? And in what is the mechanism of engagement? And so as I mentioned, we have a lot of work groups. We have sections where it's, you know, broad range of subject matter expertise that are bought, brought together to talk about particular policy issues. Um, I would say our engagement with member company staff, you know, we have kind of technical and legal focused work groups where it might be the regulatory expert on, you know, vaccine manufacturing. Um, but we may have a legal group where it's the intellectual property experts within the companies. We also have groups that are kind of the lead policy experts, the lead lobbyists within the companies, all kind of talking about different aspects of some of the same issues to inform what our positions are and how we engage. Forgive my ignorance here. What's the difference between a work group and a section? Uh, so it's it's just nomenclature. So a work group is usually kind of the more narrow, you know, these are the patent lawyers that are meeting on this particular issue. A section or a steering group might be we bring together the lawyers, the policy experts and the um, advocacy folks all in one meeting so that they're kind of hearing the same thing. Right. Because you can get technical expertise, but if you don't have the policy context or the advocacy context, you know, you kind of need that to bring it all together. So one of the things I, I look at is, you know, engagement, that it really boils down to four key areas, in my opinion, when you look at associations. One, you got to have value. Then you got to have communication because you can have great value, but if you don't have good communication of it, you're, you're going to lose it. Then you have to have action steps where they actually engage it. And then you have to have service because if, if you don't give good service, they're going to fall out and you're going to have all this attrition. So where do you have found with your association where y'all are really strong at? What, what, what do y'all do really well in those areas? I would say communication and engagement. Um, so we have a broad range of kind of member site analytics. You know, we're tracking what are the materials that member companies are accessing and using that we put on our member sites. How are companies engaging in the work group meetings? You know, we don't want people that are just note takers at meetings. You know, we need people that are engaging and helping us really, you know, build consensus. That's one of our measures of engagement. Right. So. When, when you look, I would, I would imagine, because everybody in the traditional association, advocacy is kind of like this abstract thing that they say, oh, you're going to do that, whether I'm a member or not. So, I mean, I would imagine that y'all do a really good job of creating FOMO where these pharma companies feel like if you're not on the inside, you're really on the outside of the key things going on. I mean, would that be a fair assessment? I think that's accurate. And I would say process is your friend. That's what everyone who comes on new on staff, I talk about how process is your friend. You know, we start at the work group level, we move up, we make sure that for our committee meetings, you know, those are meetings with the um, the CEOs of some of the largest biopharmaceutical companies, we need clear agendas, we need clear action points, and we need clear metrics and accountability. You know, I manage our annual planning process each year with the CEOs of these companies, and we have to have clear agenda, we have to be very clear on, you know, what the outcomes are, how we're going to measure them, how we're going to come back and regularly report to the board. And, you know, our board gives us a report card each year on how they think we've done on what they've identified as the key priorities for the organization. What is, real quick, Dave, what, what is your, I'm curious, when you have 33 members, what is your, what is your kind of organizational structure? How many board members do you have? So we have a, our board is the leading the CEOs of each of those companies on our okay. overall board. And then okay. we have committees that are focused on different aspects. So we have a, um, you know, a federal 
federal issues committee, we have an international committee, state committee, and so on that are also populated by board members. So a new company that comes on as your 34th company, let's say they automatically get a seat at the table? Yes. Awesome. That, I like that. And so we're very you... focused on building consensus, which, you know, not everyone's going to be happy, but it's part of our job to ensure that every board member and company feels heard and is involved in the process and understands how we reach the decisions that we have. So how do you feel like you do that really effect? Because I could, I could see that they're, they're not always going to be on the same side of the fence. So how do you feel y'all do that and engage that process really effectively? We do that through a lot of process. We do that through a lot of work group discussions. We have a lot of discussions with individual member companies. This is why we socialize things, um, some of these issues through our committee structure, and then the discussions with the board. And importantly to that, coming back to the communications aspect, you know, we have to make sure we're briefing the board members as to the process we've used, giving them appropriate background, having clear agendas, having clear action items. So being very transparent in how we engage and how we arrive at our decisions, and then having that transparency in terms of accountability is really important. So what do you, in, in all of this, it sounds like you're doing a really good job at managing um, senior level executives at these multi-billion dollar organizations uh which means you got to get it right the first time right that's what i'm hearing you say is like you better be organized we better uh not look like we don't know what we're doing here we got to look like we've done this before when you're facilitating and managing these discussions these work groups these sections and of course even the board meeting uh what do you struggle with when it comes from the from the perspective of engagement what do you what do you struggle with the most yeah i think the fact that we're in this hybrid environment it's us trying to find the right way to get materials to the companies and ensure that they are actively participating in all the venues that we have available, right? So if I've got a work group, but no one shows up to the work group or no one actively participates, if it's just people that are taking notes, then something's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, our focus is on, you know, who's going to the member website, what materials are they using, what aren't they using, why aren't they using it? What can we do better? You know, what we so we try to have a continuous feedback loop so that we're hearing from the companies and that we're trying to be responsive to their needs. You know, it's been really hard. The fact that I, I'm sure everyone that's listening has faced the same thing during the pandemic when we're in this hybrid environment. The number of meetings for all of us has exponentially increased. So we're competing with all these other meetings that member company representatives could be participating in. So it's critical that we're providing a value add. Like it's gotta be that we're talking about the right issues, the things that they care about. And we spend a lot of our time looking at overall industry trends, looking at the pipeline, you know, so that we can be anticipatory and help shape the environment and tell them things that they wouldn't, you know, hear otherwise or know about. So that that's one of our aspects of our value add. You know, you said something that really struck a nerve with me that our amount of meetings after COVID has drastically increased. And you're, I mean, used to, it took a lot of time for me and Dave, you know, when we want to meet, well, we got to book a flight, we got to pick a hotel. It took a long time. So you, you only met if you really had to meet, but now it's as little as Dave, here's the link. Let's meet. And you get those from six different people. You're right. It is a juggernaut to try and manage all that activity. We I got a new Go ahead. No, please, Ann. So I was going to say one thing that's been really interesting is that, you know, given we we have companies where the CEOs are U.S. based and where a lot of these CEOs are not U.S. based. And so the fact that we've been able to have these hybrid meetings 
I think we've really shown that we can have these meetings, hold them successfully. And I frankly think that our board engagement and participation levels has increased. But, you know, it, it is that needing to ensure that we are competing with the other meetings they could be participating in. But I think the hybrid model has actually opened up some opportunities for deeper engagement with our board members, frankly. One of the cool things I think about virtual is there's a mute button that I just discovered I have complete control over. So I, I may be getting a lot more questions in for the second half of this conversation with my newfound <laughs> mute button. So, uh, hey, I'd, tell me about retention. It's my, based on what I'm hearing, I don't think you struggle with retention, right? Like re, you're not seeing pharmaceutical companies leave the association, do you? No, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier. You know, it's important to be at the table and our member companies realize that. But retention is an important aspect for us. We want to ensure that we're continuing to meet our member needs. So we do make sure that our senior staff are regularly engaging with the leadership in these companies. Our CEO, Steve Ubel, is, and our chief operating officer, Lori Riley, are regularly talking to the CEOs and senior leaders within the companies as we see new drug approvals, as we see challenges they may be facing. We're, they are outreaching to them to make sure that we know what they care about and that we're being responsive. So I think that is a very important part of the retention aspect of our of our collective jobs. Like if there's something where I think a company isn't happy with what the outcome is, it's important for me to flag that for our senior staff and for me and others to be outreaching to that company to say, hey, you know, let's talk more about what your concerns might be. You treat it almost like a business would treat a client. And I'm talking about a business, a small business in the way that, um, a lot of small businesses don't have hundreds or thousands of customers or clients. Many of them, especially boutiques, have 30, 33 big clients. And so much like that scenario, if you lose one, it's tough, right? And like, so your focus is on not losing a single member. But I'm curious on the other side of the coin, you're probably not growing either right like it's i mean you don't see many new pharmaceutical companies come to the market do you so i mean our membership has remained generally consistent you know there are a few large biopharma companies that aren't pharma members and you know we continue to engage with them as well in hopes that they'll see the value and and join pharma um, but, you know, we don't, um, our membership criteria is such that we don't really have smaller companies as members. So we really are focused on those that have the long-term robust commitment to R&D. And, uh, and so that really is why we are, you know, in essence, the largest member, the, the largest biopharma research-based companies. So I, 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 Tom, you can, one more question. This is kind of off yeah. uh, outside the lines of the stuff we've been talking about based on this and, and this is really interesting to me i think because it's what what you're describing in pharma is so much different than what i've seen in most associations in a lot of ways even trade associations right like a trade most trade associations gain and lose members pretty regularly or they have uh, a value proposition where they're, that they're trying to inject into the base of the of the um organiz of the company's uh, employee base, whereas you really have the the peak of the iceberg that's involved, the 200 or so at any given membership. Uh, do you do any work with students 
is student engagement or do you do you try to engage a younger generation or do you just not care about where they are in their in their um in their um journey their their career journey you're really just focused on the top 200 so we do engage a lot on kind of you know through coalitions and other efforts some of the broader um issues that impact the ability to innovate which implicates a lot of small companies workforce issues are one you know everyone in the biopharmaceutical industry is struggling with how do we meet our current stem workforce needs much less if we enhance the incentives for manufacturing in the US, we can't meet those needs without having that workforce. Um, so we do through our alliance and communications activities, engage with a lot, or a lot of entities, including smaller and emerging companies, where we have those common issues of concern, such as workforce issues, um, you know, creating that favorable environment for innovation so that we might engage with more on a kind of a coalition approach, um, but we also do have a robust internship program where we, you know, we are very focused on how do we excite people about the range of jobs that are available through the biopharmaceutical industry and through associations like ours. So you you say you have an internship program, meaning pharma brings interns in or you yes. help place interns in the organizations that are members? Uh, no, that we have one for um, our pro for pharma itself as an organization. And then our companies have very, very robust STEM efforts mentorship, internship, a lot of K through 12 engagement to get people excited about industry and innovation. So I'm, inter I'm interested in, I mean, so you got the 33 CEOs that you're continuously in tuned into and you have a couple hundred people in work groups. Is there ever a difference <clears throat> when you're talking to them? Is there ever a difference between what the work group people are saying, like staff executives versus what the CEO is communicating? Why, yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. I mean, that's normal in every organization because right. the subject matter experts, they bring their particular expertise to bear. And so the view from someone uh, from a technical standpoint might be, you know, I'd like these five regulations changed or we need these 10 new regulations. But when you bring it into a broader policy context, you know, the head of policy for our company is going to say, yeah, that's important, but I would rank that like number 20, not number one. Right. And so that happens. And then when you move to the advocacy environment, you know, when we're engaging with the lobbyists in the company, they'll be like, yeah, there's no chance legislation is going to move on that front in the next, you know, five, 10 years. You know, you need to educate. You need to start here. So it's, you know, this, again, is why I keep coming back to process is your friend. You know, when we have a discussion with heads of policy and with our lead lobbyists in the companies, they want to know, did you talk to our lawyers? Did you talk to our subject matter experts? So, you know, it's important that we check all those boxes. But this is ultimately why we have the really robust committee and board engagement, because they're the ultimate decision makers. Right. It's up to us to outline, here's all the steps we went through. Here's the differing perspectives we heard. And that's why the board members are the ultimate decision makers. And the board members say to the lobbyists, the three magic words they hate to hear, make it happen. <laughs> so this reminds me, I, I, so before I got into this world of associations back in like around 2001, 2002, I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers and, and I, I specifically was working with uh, Purdue Farms down in uh, Delaware. I think it was Delaware. And um, uh, we're in this meeting with a bunch of the leadership of the sales team and and we're we're pulling information out of them we're asking questions kind of like a early day podcast we're asking questions and trying to facilitate a conversation and jim purdue comes in 
to the meeting because they're paying PricewaterhouseCoopers a lot of money. He wants to see what's happening with his money. Jim Purdue walks in. He's the younger one. Frank Purdue's the old guy. So Jim walks in, who's already running the organization at this point, and he sits down in the corner and everybody clams up. Nobody says a word. Like it, it shut down in there. So the partners from PricewaterhouseCoopers is trying to spark this conversation. And Jim finally gets up and leaves. Somebody stands up. He's like, what the hell just happened here? Like the guy walks in and none of us can say anything. So yeah, I, what, what made me think of that was the disconnect in some scenarios between the CEO and the people actually making stuff happen. That's my little story. So how, so how do you, how do you bridge that gap on a you know a daily basis between to try and keep a unit unit unification in your message? You know, where I said that the number of meetings had exponentially increased since the uh, beginning of the pandemic, the number of meetings has exponentially increased. I mean, we are talking, you know, right now we're talking on a daily basis to our member companies about right. um, you know certain policy issues uh, and legislation on the hill. So having those regular communications continuing to, you know, one, educate, listen, and making sure that we're capturing the feedback and then identifying kind of the key themes and trying to build a consensus. But again, where we can't build a consensus, that's, you know, why right. we have our board. And I've been at Pharma for 17 years, and I have never seen a more engaged board than what we have at the current time. They are, you know, we have regularly scheduled board meetings. We have a lot of ad hoc calls and we've had very, very high levels of participation, which says to me that we're focusing on the right issues. It matters to them and they are very engaged, but you know, you gotta be prepared. You gotta have those agendas. You gotta have the pre-reads and you gotta have outlined what you did, what you're planning to do and how you're gonna measure it. And we have to keep coming back and giving them the progress reports. How yeah, Dave, what, measure engagement, like engage. So I guess two questions. I, I think you inadvertently already explained what engagement is to you, right? It's, it's attendance at these things. It's, it's seeing people that are consuming the content that you're sending them like that. Can, do you want to expand on that at all? Or is that really what engagement means to you? Yeah. So that's one that's, you know, a little bit more of the passive engagement. What's really important to us is having the active participation, not just listeners on calls, but those that are reacting, that are sharing their perspective, that are comfortable sharing their perspectives with us on these work group and other calls so that we can capture those perspectives and, you know, kind of position that as to draft recommendations or be able to characterize what we're hearing to the board members to inform their decision making. And so you, it's, so sorry, accessing controls that? is one part of it. Are you, are you measuring that piece of it? The 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 part, active participation, I mean, it seems to me to be something difficult to measure. Well, we're kind of tracking, you know, who's talking on calls. And if, you know, we don't hear from, you know, particular member companies, then we do the individual outreach to say, hey, you know, didn't hear you speak up on the call. Do you want to share your perspective, you know, and or, you know, do you have questions, concerns? Should we, can we provide an educational briefing or, you know, what what can we do to help you be better engaged here at Pharma. Are they calls or virtual meetings? Um, we, both, and and in person meetings, to, to depending on what it is. So you know, we we really are adopting the hybrid model, and you know, we know there's not a one size fits all, and we've right. got to adapt and be flexible. Do you, you find have professional facilitators in here because you get voices like Tom and me in one of these calls, and we're just gonna like 
we're going to talk and dominate. But then you have other people with some really in, interesting and valuable stuff to say that are dominated right by the the loud voices in the room. How do you manage that? So that is a challenge that we had pre-pandemic. We have it now, yeah. and it's uh, it's just going to be a perennial challenge. But I mean, part of it is you know, we all need to, you know, all of our staff, we try to empower them on meeting management. And part of that is ensuring that other voices are heard. And some of that is if they're not going to speak up on the calls, and we do need to make sure that we're having those offline discussions so that we understand where they're coming from. And then we bring that back into the next meeting that we have. But, you know, I, I think, as you all know, it is hard to uh, sometimes interject when, you know, someone's Ha is giving a soliloquy, but you know it's something that we all need to continue to work on and um, find mechanisms to interject in a polite way. Dave, you know what's funny? Really hilarious at this moment. Tell I me. Feel, I feel like you and I are like a married couple where one person starts a sentence and the other person finishes the sentence. I was literally going to ask that question from you when you asked it, because I, I was very interested in that whole process. I think there's an art to having a facilitator that can watch the room and if he sees he or she, somebody's quiet for a long period of time, they'll say, well, well you know, Katie, what, what are you what are you thinking right now? I know you haven't said much. So what do you what do you think on this issue? And it's an art form to make someone make sure someone is paying attention to everybody in the room. And I, I was going to ask the same thing Dave did. Do you have any training to a new new committee chair just to give them like, here's the three or four things you want to make sure you do to get the most out of everybody in the room? Yeah. And. You know, one of my techniques on a call when I have silence, because I manage our global supply chain task force, and so it's a lot of me providing information to them, but sometimes when people are quiet, I say, okay, so then no one disagrees and you're comfortable with us moving forward. So it's sometimes you have to flip the conversation so that it's a little bit like, if you don't speak now, I'm going to- You're in forward. agreement. Yeah. Right. <laughs> silence. silence Tom, can, you imagine, can you imagine silence, what that sounds like in one of our calls? We don't know. We don't know silence in our calls. And speaking of reading the room, I can read the room and we're getting close to the end here. And I can see Anne keeps mentioning how many meetings she has in her day. <laughs> so I can read a room, Tom. What else? So before we go into our very last question, Anne, and it's going to be slightly different here today. Uh, but Tom, do you have before we ask that final question, do you have something else you want to say? Yeah, I have one last question. So I know you are engaging with your 33 pretty much an active phone calls. That's pretty easy when you got 200 employees, you got 33 people, you or somebody can get to those people. But all the work groups, I mean, how do you engage down to their level and extract stuff from them and get them into the value and stuff? I mean, that is when you say it's 33, you know, people, it's not the 33 people, you know, on a daily basis, I'm thinking of all those people that are participating in the work right. groups. Um, so it is something that, you know, we have to be very focused on how we're going to use each work group meeting and how that's going to ladder up to a recommendation um, or question that we need to bring to the board. So I would say that's, you know, one of our biggest challenges is kind of ensuring that, you know, we're thinking ahead on the process and how all that feedback's going to feed up. And then we have to communicate that to those participants in those work groups so that they see the value in their participation. Right. They want to know <laughs> that their engagement's going to matter. And it's meaningful. And, you know, it's one of my strategies with our association. The moment someone becomes a member and, and throughout the year, <clears throat> we're always sending to our to the CEO or the president of the company. That there's usually about six key managers in any one of our companies. And so we send them a link that, should, that they can put in what those managers' names and emails and contact information is in their title. Because here's what my goal is. My goal is for the management to be sending down, the owner to be sitting in a meeting one day, a management going, you know what? 
I think we're not going to renew MTI this year. And I want all six of the managers to go, are you crazy? We are getting so much on the bottom to bring up you and you can't do that. And I, I think that sounds like that's kind of the strategy y'all have is to really make the, the work groups so beneficial and packed with, with the value that there's no way a CEO would want to go before them and say, we're canceling this because there's so much value there. Exactly right. Awesome. So well, they, the, the last question here, Anne, is, and this is a round robin, it's a question for the three of us. Tom and I usually go first to give you a chance to think. And, and that is, uh, the, Tom, the question for Tom and me is, what's our biggest takeaway from this conversation? I think the question for you is slightly different, which is, what is the primary um, giveaway? Like, what's the primary message that around engagement that you want to relay to people? And I, this this is a little bit different. Usually we're talking about some topic. In this case, we're kind of interrogating you about how pharma does things. Because to me, it's just so fascinating. Tom, do you want to go first? I can. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I got something if you want to think more. All right, you go ahead and go. I want, All right, I want so for me, the, the biggest takeaway that I'm walking away from hearing you talk and, and, and answer these questions I have never in my 20 years of working with associations met an organization that was so, where, where the value proposition was so focused on advocacy, which I think is, and, and it, it, uh, it was so few company members too. Like I've seen organizations like Tom's with a few hundred, but 33 organizational members like that's that's amazing and, and the huge focus on advocacy your problems are significantly different than the typical association's problems and so uh super intriguing to me that was that that's my primary takeaway is hearing and learning about something that's rather different than what i'm used to dealing with so so i know why they're engaged dave I call it the four commas. Anytime you have four commas, you're protecting. When she said $1.5 trillion, I'm like, okay, yeah. I got to be a part of that because they, they, we're going to yeah. protect that. You're right. Your average association isn't protecting that kind of, of dollars when it comes to research and development. But I, I hats off to your group for, for doing that. But my big takeaway is what she said early on, process, process, process. When you're looking at your value proposition, an association needs to dictate when it's going to follow up with a member, when it's going to give that report, when it's going to deliver that value proposition. It needs to be consistent and on time with it. So members come to expect it and learn from it. Because when you become inconsistent, your members are like, man, I, I haven't received that report in a month. Uh, I mean, and all of a sudden the chinks in the armor is the value there. So you determine your value proposition, have a process that has a follow-up process that consistently gives it to them. So they know to rely on it. Because if your members aren't relying on your, uh, you probably would say this too, if members aren't re relying on your, value proposition, that's when it becomes in question. And off to you, like what's one, what's the residual message here for the listeners on, on our conversation today? I think you hit on some of the key ones. I would say um, the ongoing communications and continuous feedback loop, you know, um, we have a top-notch public affairs team, top-notch, you know, alliance, federal advocacy, you know, just top-notch across the board. And we're all very focused on how we communicate to the members in the many different forms that they want to receive information and that we're continuing to get feedback. So I think it's, you know, thinking of member relations and member engagement, it's not static. We need to constantly evolve. And, you know, to the points made, process is your friend and trying to identify continuous feedback loops 
And just because you did something yesterday doesn't mean you should do it tomorrow. So it is really important that we continue to listen to our members and figure out what's the best way to reach them, engage them, and for them to help us ensure we are meeting the priorities of the board and being accountable. I just wrote down this phrase you said, listen to your members. Uh, Tom, you good? I'm good. Ann, it was Ann. great having you. I loved hearing your story. Thank you great. so much, Ann, for taking the time out for this. This has been months in the planning. I'm glad we got you on the call. Oh, thank you. Enjoyed it very much. It's hey, and tell, tell, tell the other 14 people on the email that it happened. <laughs> will do. All right. <laughs> Take care. We hope you gained some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about, or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already, and don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.